0: It was an editor of a well-known London newspaper who sent out uh, an inquiry to 100 professors, authors, merchants, and other professional people. And the inquiry was this. He said to them, suppose you were sent to prison for three years and you can only take three books with you, which three would you choose? And also please state them in order of their importance." Out of all of the replies, 98 of them put as their first choice on their list before any other, the Bible. Now, you've got to keep in mind that few of these people that were asked were religious. In fact, many of them were atheists and agnostics. Yet they inherently knew that no other book could give them comfort and hope that they needed to help them in their dark days you know our world has definitely experienced its share of dark days throughout history and 2021 i would say has kind of been right up there at the top for so many to be such a challenging year across the world people are anxious and fearful i talk to them on a regular basis kelly and i entertain conversations with people on a regular basis in the church and outside of the church that are anxious and Fearful, Because we see outside of the four walls of this church, outside of the four walls of our life, that evil is rampant in the world today, and that hope for far too many seems to be waning. But I'm thankful today for God's Word. I'm thankful for today for His Holy Spirit. I'm thankful today that His Word and His Spirit provides for us comfort and hope that we all need In these dark days that we're living in, how many can say amen? Amen. So I'm uh, conservatively speaking, as you look at God's word, Jesus fulfilled well over 300 prophecies in his word during his earthly ministry. Now, people can say, for example, uh, something's going to happen tomorrow. They can predict it. You hear people all the time, these prognosticators that predict, what's going to happen to the economy, what's going to, what the government's going to do, who's going to be elected, polls and all these sort of things. People prognosticate all the time and they, they give their best guess as to what's going to happen a week from now, six months from now, a year from now, but truly no one knows. They can make their best guesses based on data and statistics. But if they t- continue to fail in their predictions and 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 if that particular thing doesn't happen, after a while, after a pretty quick while, that person's word and reputation for being dependable are greatly diminished. That's why I don't believe in polls anymore, for example. But God's word can be counted on. You see, of the over 2,500 prophecies that were found in God's word that we can read today, about 2,000 have already been fulfilled. Did you know that? Now, these things were written thousands of years ago, and yet we see them being fulfilled over the centuries. And most importantly, it seems like in the last hundred years or so, we've really seen that number of prophecies increased. So what that tells me is that if there's over 2,500 prophecies in the Bible and over 2,000 have already been fulfilled, that gives me great confidence that the remainder of the prophecies that are in God's word will be fulfilled. Amen? The Feast of Trumpets, as we're looking at today, this is the uh, fifth of seven feasts that God ordained and assigned and appointed to the people of Israel to, uh, to commemorate, to observe every year. They were feasts of God that He called His people to. And this is number five of the seven, the Feast of Trumpets. And the Feast of Trumpets points to two dark, but yet hopeful days. One that has already occurred and one that is yet to come. So stay with me here on this, because it seems like that it's a contradiction in terms that you could say that a day is at once dark, but at the same time hopeful. But let's see what God's Word says about this. So I want to first off discuss for just a moment what the Feast of Trumpets is all about, practically speaking, what God called them to. If you will, let's bow our heads in prayer as we look at God's word today. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time. You're already here because your word says the word, two or more are gathered in your name, you're there. You're already here because your word says you inhabit the praises of your people. So Lord, we thank you for your presence here. Jesus, even though we can't see you, we know you're here because you're in our hearts. You're in our lives, you're you're speaking to our spirits this morning, and we need you to open up our spirits, to to hear your voice, to to minister to us, Lord God, what you want us to know and what we need to walk out of here equipped to 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 function in in our lives. Lord, many of us have come in here maybe anxious, maybe discouraged, maybe frustrated, maybe fearful, maybe tired. Just tired of the, the grind. Same old stuff. But Lord, today, you want to do a new thing. Your word says that. Behold, I do a new thing. Watch it. It's springing forth. Lord, let that spring forth now in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, as we, as we come to the home stretch of 2021 and all that has taken place here, in this in this year, in our in the world, in our lives. We know, God, that you're still faithful, you're still true, and so today, let your word be an encouragement to us. Let your spirit make your word come alive to us. Help us to lay aside every distraction that we brought into this place, that maybe even right now we're distracted with what what we brought in here, what we've got to do this week, all the distractions of life. Father, we lay that aside for a moment or two, and we choose to focus now on what you would have us to learn and apply to our lives. Holy Spirit, we're open to that. Minister to us, and we ask Jesus in your name. And everybody said amen. So as I said, the Feast of Trumpets is the fifth of seven feasts. It's the first, though, of three fall feasts. We've looked at the first three spring feasts, and then the Feast of, uh, of Pentecost was actually the, the, the beginning of the summer. So it was still in the spring, but it's the beginning of summer for the Feast of Pentecost. I want to ask you something, too, While those of you who were here last week and those of you who... Are, watch this online, remember last week it was all about yielding to the Holy Spirit. The question was, how, how yielded are you? So I ask you this question rhetorically, you don't have to answer, but how's that been going this week? Have you yielded to the Holy Spirit? Have you, have you intentionally said, "All right, Holy Spirit, to this, this is today, I need to yield to you. My words, my thoughts, my actions, my goals, my possessions, everything about me, I yield it to you. Now, help me to be more like Jesus. I hope you've done that this last week. I hope you'll continue to do that. This is not just a one week at a time and now let's do what this says this week, but it's constantly applying God's word to our lives, building incrementally on the truths of God's word in our lives. So I trust that you've been and I hope that you'll continue to yield to the Holy Spirit this week as we move forward in our walk with the Lord. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 23. And we're gonna start in verse 23. And this is a very straightforward, again, simple instruction for this feast that God gave, the Feast of Trumpets. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the first day of the seventh month that you're to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with a trumpet blast or with trumpet blasts. Do not do any regular work on that day, but present a food offering to the Lord. So Numbers 29, talks a little bit more about that food offering, and they were told to sacrifice special burnt offerings consisting of a young bull, a ram, and seven lambs, and also a goat was to be sacrificed as a sin offering. We see that happen a lot in these feasts where God says, I need you to sacrifice, and those animals show up a lot. Now, the feast took place on the first day of their month called Tishri, T-I-S-H-R-I, Tishri. Now, The the Jews have two different calendars. They have a religious calendar, and then they have what they call a lunar calendar. And their calendar is a lunar calendar based solely on the movement of the moon. The fullness of the moon, the waning of the moon, the waxing and the waning of the moon, all of those, that's what the Jewish calendar runs by. And so they have a religious calendar, and Tishri was on the seventh month of their religious calendar. I have a hard enough time keeping track of one calendar. They keep track of two, okay? So on the seventh month of the religious calendar, it was the, but it was the first month of their civil calendar, which is like saying for us, the first of January. It was their New Year's Day, in other words, okay? So it was their seventh month of the religious calendar, but it was their New Year's Day. It was the first day of the year. So it was their New Year's celebration. And Tishri would include the latter part for us of September, first part of October on our Gregorian calendar. So when you see the Feast of Trumpets rolling around for us, it's going to land in the latter part of September, first part of October. And this feast has come to be known in modern times as Rosh Hashanah. How many has ever heard of that term, Rosh Hashanah? It means head of the year. So you would say, happy Rosh Hashanah, happy head of the year, happy new year. That's what they would say in greeting one another probably, on that first day of the year Rosh Hashanah now the timing of this feast it only occurs on the first it's the only one that occurs on the first day of the month all the rest of the feast occurs somewhere in the middle of the month this feast occurs on the first day of the month and it occurs as I as I mentioned earlier it's on the new moon now the, as I said the Jewish calendar runs on a lunar cycle so when the moon is dark And the shape of that is that of a really thin, sort of nearly indiscernible crescent, kind of like a little fingernail, you know, that you see up in the sky. You've ever seen those? That's the new moon. All the other Jewish holidays occur later in the respective months when the moon is shining brightly, but the Feast of Trumpets occurs when you can barely see the moon in the sky. Now, just as God declared the seventh day, the Sabbath, God also declared the seventh year was holy too, He also declared that the seventh month was because, again, this fell on the seventh month, the first day. The Feast of Trumpets was on Tishri 1. And by the way, all the last three festivals that we're going to be looking at occur in the month of Tishri. Tishri 1 was the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Day of Atonement was on Tishri 10. We're going to look at that next week. And then the Feast of Tabernacles began on Tishri 15. The new moon was announced by a trumpet blast on this day. Some guys would go out and they would see this fingernail sliver of a moon. They would go back and report it to the priest and the priest would say, blow the trumpets. We can now declare that it is a new year. And it began not only the new year, but it began the holy month. Now, let's talk a little bit about the trumpet because actually we hear the shofar being blown in our worship times, which I love that. I love that sound of that shofar being blown. It's the sound of worship, but it's the sound of proclamation. It's a sound of announcing, by the way. And listen to what this is all about, what the shofar, the significance of the shofar in God's word, in prophecy, and what we're actually going to be hearing real soon, I believe, as we near the time of the rapture. The Bible in English versions of it really doesn't distinguish between two types of trumpets that are used by Jewish people, but there's two types. And I'm going to just touch on it just very quickly. One trumpet is called the Hatzot Yeah, good luck pronouncing that. I don't know if I said that right, but Hatzot Now, this particular trumpet was a straight silver trumpet. And it was flared at the end. Beautiful instrument. God commanded in the book of Numbers that two silver trumpets be fashioned of hammered work. And the priests were to sound these trumpets over the sacrifices as a memorial to the Lord. The other is called a shofar. Now, the shofar is a curved trumpet made from a ram's horn. Now, the reason it's a ram's horn and not a cow's horn was because a cow's horn was unacceptable. Why? Because it was a reminder of Israel's idolatry in the desert when they worshiped the golden calf. So a cow's horn wouldn't do. It had to be a ram's horn. And you see what a so far looks like. It's got a little, bit of a little bit of a curve to it. Now the ram's horn, on the other hand, the reason that they used the ram's horn, it was a reminder of God's provision of the ram that Abraham was able to use in place of sacrificing his son Isaac. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 22. So while Scripture doesn't indicate which trumpet is to be used in this feast, it does specify in Leviticus that the shofar is to be used in announcing the year of Jubilee. Now, what is the year of Jubilee? The year of Jubilee among the Hebrews occurred every 50 years. During that year, all slaves were freed, all property was returned to their original owners. And the land was also allowed to rest and wasn't worked. It was fallow for that year so that the nutrients would be be replenished in it. I like that year of Jubilee. The shofar was also be sounded on the day of atonement, which we're going to look at next week, that 10th day of Tishri. So because of these things, the historical observance and tradition of the Jews has been to use the shofar as the primary instrument in the Feast of Trumpets. Now, the shofar sounded a long, sustained blast while the choir would sing out Psalm 81, which was the Feast of Trumpets psalm. Um, Irene, do you have that shofar with you? Why don't you stand up? This is totally unplanned. Get your lips ready. Get your pucker up. Get it ready. And I want you to blow this, and then I'm going to read Psalm 81, verses 1 through 4, because this is what they did. Well, no, no, no. Yeah, I want you to p- blow it, and then I'm going to read. I don't want you to blow it while I read. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, there's, there's 20 verses in this, and I want you to blow it all the way through. I'm kidding. No, just blow what you, blow what you can, and then once you're done, I'll read these scriptures. Go ahead. Amen. And then when that, tr- uh, that shofar is blown, the choir would sing this song. Now put music to it, whatever you want, but this is it. The first four verses says, Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music. Strike the timbrel. Play the melodious harp and the lyre. Sound the ram's horn, the shofar, at the new moon. And when the moon is full on the day of our festival... This is a decree for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. Every year, every New Year's Day, they would do this. And that's kind of the significance of the Feast of Trumpets, at least what they did and what God established. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Now, what's the prophetic significance? Because if you remember, every week we've looked at not only what they do practically, what the feasts are all about as far as what God ordained. But there's also a prophetic significance to this and how Jesus fulfills those particular feasts in his life and in his work. So as I mentioned a few moments ago, these two dark days, let's look at this and this is where it comes into play. Let's look at the first dark day. The first dark day has already taken place, if you remember I said that, and it was brought about to bring our deliverance from sin. Now, why would I call the day of our deliverance from sin a dark day? Because you would think that that would be a day of celebration, wouldn't it? Well, I want you to remember that the timing of this feast fell on the new moon. The moon is just a sliver in the sky, and there's darkness that is prevalent on that day. On that day, the shofar sounded and reminded the Jews of how God delivered Isaac from death by providing a ram as a substitute. Both of these things, the darkness and the deliverance, pointed forward from those who observed this feast in the Old Testament to the first dark day that brought our deliverance, which we know as our Savior, Jesus Christ, who bore our sins at Calvary. I want to read to you out of Matthew chapter 27 As Jesus was hanging on the cross, verse 45 says, from about 12 noon until 3 p.m. in the afternoon, in the middle of the day, darkness came over all the land. And about 3 in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now I want you to imagine for just a moment, The last hours of Jesus' life, back up about 24 hours. Maybe during the time where he was doing the Passover meal, as we looked at a few weeks ago with his disciples. And as he went to the garden to pray, and as he was betrayed by Judas, and as he was betrayed, and the the, the things that began to happen to Jesus, and and all the physical, and all the emotional, and all the mental torment, That Jesus experienced his his betrayal by Judas, and all the in the time from that time to the time he was crucified, there was six illegal trials that took place. These false witnesses that came forward, the mocking, the cursing, the spitting, the slugging, the beatings, and the scourging that Jesus endured at the hands of mankind. There's not once that it was documented that Jesus said anything. The Bible says he remained silent. In fact, Isaiah 53, 7 describes him this way. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He could have. And if it were us, we would say he should have. But he didn't. So I want you to imagine all of that that he experienced leading up to the cross from the time he was betrayed to the time that he was nailed to the cross and he was placed in the ground. That cross was placed in the ground and he was hanging there. As he was hanging on that cross, as he was whipped and scourged and beaten beyond recognition in the extreme pain that he was in, gasping for every breath, with all those around him mocking his name and humiliation that he was, he was hanging there naked. Still, He didn't cry out in pain. Not once until midday when the sun was overhead and suddenly darkness fell. And then in that darkness, something happened that made Jesus scream out and cry out. What could be so much more terrible than what Jesus had already experienced to that point that made Him scream? I'll tell you what. In a moment, in that moment, your sins... And my sins and the sins of the whole world were put on Jesus Christ. And God the Father and God the Holy Spirit turned their faces from Jesus because they couldn't see the sin that was placed upon Jesus Christ. It was then that Jesus cried out. At that moment, he endured, at that moment, he carried. At that moment, He suffered the punishment that you and I deserve in which a holy and righteous justice demanded. In three hours of darkness, Jesus suffered the equivalent of eternal hell. This is the horror that caused Him to scream the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is why I call this A dark day. It was a day that was at once dark, and yet it was hopeful. You see, it was dark for Jesus, wasn't it? Because he carried your sins and my sins. But it was hopeful for all of us who would place our faith in him. Amen? I'm so thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that he bore my sins. And he bore your sins. And he bore the sins of the earth. He bore your sins today if you're watching here today. If you're here listening to my voice, no matter what you've done, he has bore those sins. The sacrifice was made. The redemption is complete as long as you place your faith in him. I don't care what you've done. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to take care of it in your life. How many can say amen to that? The second dark day, but yet hopeful day is soon to come upon all of mankind. It's the hopeful day of deliverance from this sin sick world once and for all for good for those who've placed their faith in Jesus. But it's going to be darkness for those who haven't placed their faith in Jesus. It's at once hopeful, but it's also dark. The Bible calls this this one time in all of history event, Our blessed hope, in the book of Titus, you can read it. Jesus is coming back for his bride, church, that's you and me. Our hope is placed in Christ to deliver us from this wicked and evil world. And I'm here to declare to you with 100% confidence that he will do this. And I believe that it's very, very soon. The prophets of old repeatedly warned of a dark day that would come upon the face of the earth. They referred to it as the day of the Lord. We know it as the tribulation. Amos 5.20 says, Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? Joel 2.31 says, The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. But preceding this awful day where tribulation and really punishment for the sins of man, for those that have rejected the free gift of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God and the sins of man come together and create the wrath that is going to be poured out upon this earth for those seven years. The tribulation. But preceding that time will come a twinkling of an eye, once in all of history event, which we know, as the rapture. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 through 18 says this, describes the rapture this way, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Would you just turn to someone right now and encourage them to say, Jesus is coming back? And I want to encourage you with that right now. Just encourage them, one another, right now. Encourage one another. Jesus is coming soon. I encourage you today. Jesus is coming soon. The old song that says, soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are going to see the King. That's our final and ultimate destination for those of us who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I promise you, because of the 2,000 or so prophecies that have already been fulfilled, that this is going to happen. I have full confidence in it, confidence in it because of what's already happened. This will happen. We hear about it all the time. And it's not going to happen more than once. It's going to happen once. It's a one and out deal. Be ready. There's not a second bus that's going to come pick us up. This event's going to usher in the remaining prophetic events described in God's word. This dark and dreadful day of the Lord. I don't want to be here for that. How about you? You read Revelation. And read it realistically and not some dream world sort of thing. Read it in a very practical way and that's what's going to happen. John described it the best way that he knew how with what he knew of the technology and, 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 and stuff. He just wrote it out. Well, I don't know. This is this serpent with the tail. It's a big old thing that's like a stinger. You know, he, he's describing nuclear bombs. He's describing uh, tanks. He's describing things that didn't exist back then in the best way that he knew how. He didn't write down, there's going to be a bunch of tanks and nuclear bombs because it didn't exist. It's going to happen. And what's going to happen once the rapture takes place? With the church and the Holy Spirit's influence and the preserving qualities of the church and the Holy Spirit, that is going to be removed from the earth, the Bible says. Satan's finally going to have his moment in the spotlight to wreak havoc on all those left behind. It will truly be a dark day indeed. You see, Revelation describes catastrophic and horrendous events and evil and destruction that will be poured out on those left on the earth, those left behind because of their choice on this side of the rapture to reject Jesus as their Savior and Lord. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, although the ground is sinking sand. I hope that anyone within the sound of my voice today will make their choice to accept Jesus into their heart on this side of the rapture and serve Him from this day on before it's too late. Let it be more than just hell insurance. Oh, I don't want to do, I don't want to go to hell. Well, that's good. That's a good start. If that's your motivation, good, but don't let it end there. Because you see, Jesus extends us an offer of life for you today to the full. It's not just that I don't go to hell, but it's that I can experience God's blessings, God's fullness, a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. It's an offer to experience joy and peace in a sad and anxious world. It's an offer to experience hope in the midst of hopelessness. It's an offer to to receive unconditional love from God the Father in a world where there's so much hatred and division. How does that sound? You don't have to do a thing to earn it. It's already been done. All you have to do is accept it by opening up the door of your heart. I hope this sounds good to you today. Because it's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who's already come and provided the down payment for us on the first dark but hopeful day. When he took your sins and my sins upon himself. Thank God. And we also know that he's going to return on this second dark but hopeful day. When he comes and makes all things new. But between these two days, we live in this, this tension, don't we? We know what happened when Jesus died and when he rose again, and we know that the rapture is taking place, but we're kind of right here in the middle, aren't we? It's a kind of a tension. And, and we know that we're leaning probably much more towards the rapture, but we're still right in the middle, aren't we? The rapture had not taken place yet. So what do we do with this tension? World War II, on June the 6th, 1944... The Allied Forces landed on the beaches of Normandy, France in what we know and what history is labeled as D-Day. It was the largest seaborne invasion in military history, where an estimated 10,000 US troops lost their lives in that day alone. It was the beginning of the effort to defeat Nazi Germany and evil Adolf Hitler. So between that date, more battles, more setbacks, more deaths occurred until the final victory was realized by the Allied forces in the month of May 1945. So about 11 months in between those two. Which we know in history is labeled as V-Day or Victory Day. These, these military troops lived in a hope between D-Day and V-Day that all their efforts weren't in vain. That the evil... That they were trying to defeat, would ultimately be defeated, and that good would win out. There was no guarantees, but they had a hope. We're kind of in that same position, but in spiritual terms, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities. And so there is a spiritual warfare that's going on, but we're between those two dates of D-Day and V-Day, but we know V-Day is guaranteed Between the two comings of Jesus. Believers have experienced over the centuries. What often is called the tension between the already. And the not quite yet. Jesus followers can look back and see the D-Day. The decisive strike. When Jesus said as he's hung on the cross. It is finished. Has already occurred. It's already in the books. But it also guarantees thorough and complete defeat of the enemy down the road. But, but the first time after his first coming, before the second coming, also involves this ongoing warfare with spiritual forces of darkness and those on the earth who are their allies. Yes, I'm talking about people that are not serving the Lord, that are moving in the direction of the one world government, embracing the Antichrist and all those other sort of things. They're walking in darkness. They're not our enemies but they are the allies of Satan right now. Our V-Day has not yet arrived. Still, the decisive strike of the first coming of Jesus guarantees our ultimate victory at the second coming, and Jesus' followers today must fight the good fight with the assurance promised in God's Word that He who has begun a good work in us at the first coming of Jesus will bring it to completion at his second coming folks we're on the winning side we're on the winning side satan's demise is assured and god's victory is guaranteed on the day the trumpet is going to sound and we as the church of jesus christ will be caught up to be with him in heaven One day very soon, that's going to happen. And then the end time prophecies during what the Bible calls the seven year tribulation will unfold before a horrified and perplexed world. There will be no place to hide from what's getting ready to happen on this earth. And at the end of the tribulation, Jesus will return to earth physically, plant his feet on the Mount of Olives for a second time, and he will defeat evil and he will make All things new. I'm not making this up. I'm just telling you what Revelation says, and it's just a future newspaper article. It's a newspaper story. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a lowly infant. But when Jesus comes the second time, he's going to come as our exalted, all-powerful king. (laughs) When Jesus came the first time, he wore a crown of thorns. But when Jesus comes the second time, he's going to wear a crown of glory. When Jesus came the first time, he died for all of mankind. But when Jesus comes the second time, he's going to judge all mankind. When Jesus came the first time, men refused to even acknowledge him. But when he comes the second time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When Jesus came the first time, he came riding on a lowly donkey. But when Jesus comes the second time, he's going to come on the clouds of glory on a majestic white horse. And we're going to be behind him, by the way, saying, look at this dude go, man. You go, Jesus. We're not going to have to do anything. Just watch him do his thing. When Jesus came the first time, he came to an old sinful world. But when Jesus comes the second time, he's coming back to make the world brand new. So, what's this personal significance? How can we apply this to our lives today, this particular Feast of Trumpets? This is how. The same Jesus who came to pay the price for our sin will return one day and soon make all things new. And he's going to do so by removing from this world Satan, Satan's influence, and Satan's people. And he will reign over all creation, the Bible says, in righteousness. And his redeemed people, you and I, will reign and rule with him. So I ask you this question this morning. Are you ready? It could happen today. It could happen this moment. It could happen before I pray a prayer of dismissal. So the first thing that I want to make sure of is that you've given your life over to Jesus Christ. Have you? If not, you can right now. You can today. We'll pray a prayer in just a moment. I'll lead you to the Lord. But the second thing for those of us who have given our lives over to Jesus is that we are called to commit our lives in living for Jesus. Big difference. Giving your life to Jesus, giving your heart to Him is kind of a one-time act. Jesus, I surrender to you. Ask you to forgive me of my sins. That's letting him be your savior. But then living your life for him is allowing him to be your Lord. It's a daily walk and talk with him. We're missing so much, church, if all we focus on is our salvation. I'm saved, I'm good, and now Jesus, just come on back and that's all that matters. But folks, there's such a full and blessed life to live for. Him between these two dark but redemptive days. You're missing out on much if you're not pressing in and allowing Him to be your Lord. So I encourage you, may every day you desire to be more like Him and tell others the good news about Him, what He's done and is doing for you He can and will do for others. How many can say that God has been faithful to you in your life? How many can say that God has been good to you in your life? How many can say that God has loved you with an unconditional love? How many can say that you're born again and you know that you are? You're saved and you know it. See, all of that is good stuff. God wants to do the same thing in others' lives that you know. He can be just as good in their lives as He has been in yours. Just as faithful in their lives as He has been in yours. He can love them just as much as He has you. He can forgive them to the fullness just, fullness, just as He has you. Let's live a life for Him. Uh, let's, let's share the Word of God with others. H- how do we do this? A good place to start in living your life for God... It's maybe where the ancient Hebrews did when they celebrated the Feast of Trumpets. They thanked God for the new year. They honored God for his faithfulness. They, they worshiped God with their lives. They worship God with their lives. And so are we called to do the same. It's a great place to start as you get along with God and say, God, I just, I just, I just worship you. I, I, I just I, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your goodness. Spend time with Him. And out of that relationship, out of that pursuing Him and spending time with Him, He speaks to your heart. He calls you. He draws you. He moves you into places where He has assignments and appointments and destinies for you to fulfill in other people's lives. Romans 12.2 says, And so, dear brothers and dear sisters... I plead with you. I beg you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the truly is truly the way to worship him. So how do you worship the Lord? By giving your bodies to Him, by giving your lives to Him, by being a living and holy sacrifice to the Lord, that is an act of worship beyond anything else that you can do. And out of that comes so much fullness, so much blessing, so much value because you begin to fulfill your life as to what God's called you to do. I want to show a couple of pictures of what happened yesterday. Moments in, in time, but significant. Our outreach team went yesterday and touched on some lives at a homeless center, in the streets of, uh, kind of, downtown at the fountain, downtown, and also over there by Walmart. There's a bus stop over there where they kind of hang out. And they gave them sandwiches, prayed with them, gave them some items, some warm items to make sure they were okay. And they just loved on these people. And we think, well, what's the significance of that? That wasn't big fireworks and, you know, big wow. Makes all the difference in the world. Because, as I've said before many times, everything we do is connected to a soul. And God doesn't let any effort that we do be diminished. But you all planted in water yesterday, those of you who went out. And God's going to bring the increase. All we have to do is be faithful. If you want to be part of something like that, see me afterwards, see Paul. Afterwards, some of the outreach team give us a call, say, man, I want to do something like that. You just go out and just love on people, give them a sandwich, pray with them. It fulfills your destiny. It makes you feel like, man, there's something... It, it fills you up so much because you realize that this is what I'm made to do, is to tell someone about Jesus, it's to, it's, to, it's to give of myself in some way. It doesn't necessarily have to be outreach like that. That may be intimidating to you, it, but it's, do something. Step out from where you are and say, how can I give of myself in ministry somehow, extend myself out from beyond who I am and where I am and to love on some people? Be part of the bigger picture. A.W. Tozer said this, we're here to be worshipers first and workers only second. The work done by a worshiper will have eternity in it. If we're not worshiping the Lord, then the work that we do may be in vain. It may be... Missing the mark. It may not be the best shot that we can take. But folks, out of your worship, out of your intimacy with the Lord, out of your daily pursuit of Him, allowing Him to be Lord, He's going to speak to your heart and He's going to say, I want you to go. I want you to do. I want you to make a difference. And the small stuff and the big stuff and everything in between, it all makes a difference for the kingdom because we're all doing our part. The work done by a worshiper will have eternity in it. God help us to have eternity in our work. As we're worshipers of you, this is order and this relationship with God that's gonna make us most effective for Him and be the most pleasing to Him. Let our worship to Him dictate our work for Him. Amen? Prioritizing our relationship with Him will produce an outflow for Him that will have eternal significance. Church, we have a work to do, we have a gospel to proclaim, we have a Savior to represent. Before the trumpet sounds, let's be about our Father's business. Let's not bury our talents in the ground, but invest them back into people's lives for God's glory. We live in between two dark but hopeful days right now. D-Day has already happened. It's our down payment of certain victory. V-Day is on the way when Jesus will come and make all things new, as the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, and I leave you with this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Church, let's keep fighting the good fight. Let's finish the race. Let's keep the faith. Would you stand with me this morning? Holy Spirit of God, as those that are here in person, those that are viewing online, as we come to a place of commitment and decision, as we come to a place of directing our hearts to you, as we stand face to face before you this morning, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be squarely fixed on you right now. We will not look to what's getting ready to happen. The next thing on our list to do today. Outside of the four walls of this church. But right now, we choose to focus on you. And we squarely look into your eyes as you look into our eyes and actually look into our souls. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you draw us into a deeper, more abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. That he wouldn't just be our Savior, that he would be our Lord instead as well. Lord, that we would press in and discover what it is that you would have us to do. That we would continue to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith. To In between these two tensions of what was and what's getting ready to happen. We're there and you've called us in this generation in this community to make a difference not just corporately with outreach, but individually every day with things that we can plant and water so that you might bring the increase. Father, we thank you for the Feast of Trumpets and what it represents and that you've given us the down payment on the cross and the completion is going to take place when the trumpet sounds. Oh, hallelujah. But until then, Father, may we take as many as possible as we can with us. With every eye closed and head bowed, I ask, and I have told you I would make this offer to you. There's a couple of different groups here today. The first one is, I need Jesus in my heart. I, I know, Pastor Brian, what you're talking about, and I'm just not at a place where I feel like I've got Jesus in my heart. I, I've kind of lived in my own way. I've lived for the world. I've lived for myself. I follow the ways of the world. It's an empty, hollow feeling that I have in my heart right now. But yet there's a tugging that's taking place. There's a hunger. There's a drawing in. And I'm not sure what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. It's the Holy Spirit that's drawing you right now. He's saying, come, come, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Come and, and have rest for your souls. He's inviting you to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. And I... I extend you an invitation. I cannot save you. But I can bring you to someone who can. And so today I give you Jesus. I give you Jesus. I introduce you to Jesus. He's, he's, he's here with his arms wide open. He's in inviting you right now to say, won't you come and accept me as your Lord and Savior? Hallelujah. Christians, I need you to pray. Souls are hanging in the balance. And if you're at home right now watching this, you can do the same thing that I'm getting ready to offer those that are here. Simply just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I need Jesus. Won't you you pray with me today? Yes, I see that hand. I need Jesus in my heart. I accept this invitation to invite him into my life. Anybody else? Lift up your hand. Put it right back down. If you're at home today, just lift up your hand where you are. The Lord sees you. He's there with you. Anybody else? One plus whoever might be at home. Anybody else? Lift up your hand. Quickly, Okay. Let's all pray this prayer together. Out loud. If you're at home, pray this out loud. Say, Jesus, I thank you. You died on the cross for my sins. You bore that for me. That I deserved. So today, I place my faith in you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come live in my heart and be the Lord of my life. I thank you, Jesus, that now and from this day on, I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven. I'm born again. Now, Holy Spirit, I invite you to fill me and empower me and to make me more like Jesus from this day on. And it's Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen. Now, for those of you with your eyes closed and head bowed, continue. If maybe you're at a place where you're that second group of people, which sounds like it's the vast majority of people here today, and maybe you're watching on the, online again, you're saying, you know, Pastor, I, I, I want to make a difference. I, I want to go out and minister to some homeless people. I want to go out and hand out some meals this Saturday for... the. For the Thanksgiving outreach, I, I, I want to I step in and do something for the Lord. I want to make a difference for Him. I, I don't feel like I'm fulfilling my divine destiny and appointed purpose that He has for me. But I want to. I need to. And I'm not going to live in my own world anymore. I'm not going to be discouraged anymore. I'm not going to live for my own self today. I'm going I'm to do what I can for the Lord. I'm going to let Him be my Lord today. I'm going to grow in relationship with Him. That, that's my desire today. If that's you, and you want more of Jesus and less of the world, less of yourself, if you want to be more like Jesus, if you want him to be Lord of your life and and yield to him like we talked about last week, yield to him, yield to the Holy Spirit, yield to the Spirit of Christ in you, your tongue, your thoughts, your actions, your your eyes, your possessions, your relationships, your past, your present, your future, everything. Give more to him if that's you this morning. As I lift my hand, because that's me, is that you this morning? Lift up your hand. The Lord sees your heart. Keep your hand up. Jesus, we surrender all to you. We surrender all to you. We lift up our hands to you. We surrender our lives, our our past, our present, our future, all that represents us. We give it to you, Lord God. We thank you. Help us to be more like you, Lord Jesus. And all that we say and all that we do, all that we think, work in us your holiness, your purity, your righteousness. And help us to be ambassadors, extensions of you, representatives to a lost and dying world as we leave this place. Help us to make a difference, Lord God, even in the most seemingly insignificant ways. Let us stop and see the harvest field that is ripe unto harvest. Don't let us be blind to it anymore. Let us see it and let us go to it and let us invest in it for your glory. So that next week, all of us can invite someone to church because we all know someone who needs you. And we can use our vehicles as a point of ministry to say hop on in i'm bringing you to the church father help us to bring people to church next week to love on them and to be what you called us to be we ask these things lord in your name and everybody said amen